her sister that it's God's will that they drop out of college and come back to Wilmington. They're not buying that, unfortunately. Who am I to say it's God's will for them to do that? Um, Pastor Wes mentioned um, Hunter and Tori's wedding yesterday, and I was looking to see if Reese and Lauren are here. They are not in their normal corner. Uh, Reese and Lauren uh, were also recently married, so we may have to maybe collectively embarrass them, and maybe they're all four here at the same time. That may be the best way to do that. I'm getting a little bit of a ring up here uh, in my ear. Um, if you are visiting this morning, I want to take this opportunity to welcome you and thank you for visiting with us today here at Grace Baptist Church. Uh, it's no small thing for us to have people that decide to come to our church uh, for the first time. I know it takes some courage sometimes to come in, and we just want to thank you, and, and uh, we just appreciate your taking the time to be with us today. And we do have a way to get some information. Uh, you can get some information to us. There's a QR code that's printed on a card in the pew in front of you, and you can scan that with your smartphone. And what that will do is it'll just take you to a place you can answer a couple of questions for us, nothing too difficult, and then you can uh, send that in, and our goal would be then to follow up with you if you have any questions about our ministry or if there's something that uh, you would like for us to, to talk with you about. We are certainly willing to do that and ready to do that. Uh, but you can use that. And again, just tell us a little bit about yourself and we will get back to you and uh, answer any questions you may have for us. So again, thank you for being here. Just one quick correction on the announcements that were on the printed form. The Life Chain today, if you're participating in that, they meet at the St. Matthew's Lutheran Church. And so I think it is incorrect in the printed bulletin. So if you're planning to take part in that this afternoon, uh, meet at the St. Matthew's Lutheran Church. This morning, we do begin our Missions Emphasis Month, and a number of years ago, we uh, moved away from our previous model, which was to highlight missions through the course of one week during the year, and instead, we have now been setting aside an entire month to do that, and uh, what we have done, and we'll do again this year, is I will be speaking today a little bit about the area of missions. And then over the next uh, rest of this month, a few, the Sundays, uh, the rest of this month, we'll be having some of our current missionaries. Brad Young will be with us. Uh, missionary Wong will be with us. There are two missionaries that we support. Uh, Brian uh, Palumbo, who is um, un unusually not here today. He may even be out ministering today. I'm not sure. Uh, he is. Well, there you go. He's out on uh, with his ministry today, Romans Road for the Deaf. And uh, we'll be hearing about that ministry. And then Pastor Alan Benson, my predecessor here at Grace, will be here with us. And uh, he is currently uh, working at Bob Jones University and Seminary. And they have some exciting things going on in the area that I want to talk a little bit about today. And that is the area of church planting and church growth. And so we've asked him to come and participate in our missions conference this year as well. So please be here each and every Sunday, um, especially if missions is new to you. And maybe some of the missionaries, you don't know them. This is a great opportunity for you to get personally acquainted with them. Just think about Brad in particular. He, he's a good friend of mine. I've known him, been in ministry around him really my whole time as Alan as well. Been around Brad um, most of my ministry. Ministered together in Florida, and then he was on staff here. And I remember when Brad came back from Canada the first time, and he preached, and at the end of the service, afterwards he said, you know what's funny? Because I didn't know, because I knew like 30% of the people. He said, Grace has so many new folks, I didn't even know who they were. And so sometimes some of us have been around a little while, we forget that some of our newer folks might not know some of these folks. We had a lady who uh, was moving out of town one day uh, recently, and she came to me one day and she said, 
she said, Pastor, I'm moving to this town. And she said, they told me to contact Pastor Benson about the move. And she said, Pastor, I have no idea who that is. She had never been here under his ministry. So some of these folks are new to you, and uh, we invite you to get to know them personally and spend some time with them. They're just people. They are sinful people just like you who God has called into the area of missions, and your heart would be encouraged to do that. This morning, I do want to kick off our missions month, if you will, talking a little bit more about maybe, I guess you could say it this way, local missions right here at, at Grace, right here in Wilmington. But I want to begin with just making a couple of observations, and then we'll get into our text in just a moment. But over the last several decades, as we look back over the last few decades of the church in the United States of America, by the way, I'm going to use the word church probably in reference more particularly to the church in, in general, okay, the, the, if you will, universal church, not in a universalist sense, but the church globally, that the growth of the church here in our country in the United States afforded us opportunity to engage in worldwide missions. In fact, if you are a little bit familiar with our missions program here at Grace, uh, we had, we've had as many as approximately 100 missionaries that we have been supporting. And from its very early days at Grace, we have been emphasizing world missions and giving to missions and making sure that we are financially supporting those that the Lord takes to foreign fields or even fields and ministries right here in the United States. Missions giving and mission support was part of the fabric, not just of Grace Baptist Church, but it was the fabric of most, especially independent churches that were willing to sacrifice financially in order to give to the work of the ministry, not just here at home, but globally. But, however, with the malaise, I'm going to call it that, the malaise that is rapidly setting, settling over the church in the United States of America, these opportunities are slipping away. In fact, it's interesting to me. I noticed this over the last couple of weeks. I was saying to somebody just a little while ago, I'm inundated probably like you with people who send me sermons and they send me blog posts and articles. And I, I, I write that, by the way. I enjoy that. But I also get a lot of invitations to a lot of different conferences. And it's interesting some of the titles that conferences in our country are dealing with. What issues are they addressing? Well, one in particular called ACBC, it is the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, their conference, this is a conference count, this is a conference on counseling, on biblical counseling, their title of their conference this year is O Church Arise. I thought that was curious. I went on and listened to one of the promotion recordings that they did for this conference. Actually, more particularly, went on and listened to a podcast, podcast on one of the speakers that is going to be speaking at this conference, and he was asked the question, why did, what was your response when we decided to call our conference Old Church Arise? And he said, it's so appropriate because the church in America has just become too comfortable, and we are just not passionate about the church anymore, and we need a call to remember the importance of the local church in the believer's life. The speaker was not only a biblical counselor, but he was also a pastor. I would suggest this. We all know this. This is not a shock to you, but especially in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, there has been a decline even among believers in their level of commitment to the local church. 
Now you're here. So I get it. I know what you're thinking. You're preaching to the choir. Maybe. But we have to understand that I would suggest, by the way, that while this trend is troubling and don't get excited, I'm not overly obsessed with with numbers. It's not about building a huge empire to ourselves. It's not about that. But when our attendance declines, it speaks to the fact that we are not taking the assembling together of ourselves as seriously as we ought. Hebrews chapter 10 is not our text this morning, but I want to read this to you as we kind of lay the groundwork for where we're going today. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. They are familiar verses to most of us. We know this verse. Many of you have memorized it. And let us Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I teach an entire class, usually in January, on habits and how to build godly habits. And it's curious to me that the word habit only occurs one time in the New Testament, and it occurs in this text in Hebrews, and in this case, it's a bad habit. That some had developed this habit of neglecting the importance of meeting together as the body of Christ for the purpose of stirring up one another to love and good works. Now, today, the habit of scores of believers has unfortunately become the neglect of the local body of Christ. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to make a statement. You may or may not agree with it, and that's totally fine. I was listening to another podcast over the weekend, and they were talking about the restaurant industry. And uh, this man who was a restaurant owner, he said that the pandemic merely sped up something that we have been seeing coming in the restaurant industry for a long time. And that was, there was already sort of this foundation that our industry was declining. And I would suggest that the pandemic has just sped that up in the church too. There was already a malaise among many believers not quite committed to the local church any longer and not necessarily committed to it in the place that we would make it a priority in our lives. I mean, let's face it, we all just have too many other things to do. And so these shifting priorities of believers is often keeping us, many of us, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ from being committed to the local body of believers. So in order to overcome these cultural obstacles to participating in church life, we as individual believers, we have to confront the busyness that so often crowds out church life in our lives. But we also need to see the church, here's what I want to talk about this morning, is not so much to get hung up on church attendance necessarily, although I do believe it is an increasing problem in our culture, but we also need to see the church for what it is. Did you know That every single local church that preaches the gospel, even flawed, ordinary churches like Grace Baptist Church, are absolutely adoring to the eyes of our Lord and Savior. Did you know that? That the church matters tremendously to God. In fact, when I was in seminary, I heard this so many times, I hear it in the echoes of my sleep. The church is God's program for today. 
It is expected for a believer to be a participant in a local expression of the body of Christ. It's expected. It is what God has called you to do. How do you do one another's on your own? How do you provoke one another to faith and good works if you're by yourself? There's an aspect to church life that is essential to the body of Christ, to the individual believer. Now I'm going to read you another text that still isn't our text. I'm hoping to gets you thinking with me before we actually get to our text this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, tell us this. Of this gospel, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now listen to verse 10. Paul says that as a believer who God called into ministry, he was given the gospel message to proclaim it. But listen, verse 10, so that through the church, through the church, the local church, verse 10, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Paul says it is through the local church, not through any other organization, that these manifold wisdom of God is made known. Now, what's curious is this word manifold carries the picture of a multicolored, brilliant stone. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. So, it's curious when we think about this most precious message that God has, this gospel message, which we'll define here in just a few moments. But what would God choose in order to spread this gospel? He chose the church. He chose a local body of sinful, messed up, imperfect, redeemed sinners to spread his word. That's what he did. The church is truly, categorically, God's plan for today. The church has not been superseded. In fact, the church will not be superseded until Christ returns for his church. My question for you this morning is simply this. If the church is so important to God, if the local church is so essential in God's mind for, spe- for spreading the gospel of Christ, should you not as a believer find it to be important as well? And when we think about this area of missions, what is missions about? I would suggest that missions is about planting, growing, and supporting local churches. That are being started. I told you this before. As Brad comes here in the coming days, Brad Young has been calling me on the phone from Canada pretty regularly saying, Jay, I got too many churches. I can't do this anymore. Who's going to help him? He is planting churches as God has ordained us to do. Those churches are growing. How are we as Grace Baptist Church, as Brad Young sending pastor, how are we going to support him? 
Oh, we can give money, and please do. But who's going to go? Who, who believes the church is so essential to the life of a believer that we are willing to follow God wherever he goes? Wherever he calls us to go, rather. You see, the gospel message is very simply this. I was thinking about this this weekend. After the fall, an angel was placed outside of the garden in order to keep mankind out. After the resurrection of Christ, an angel was placed at the tomb to announce Christ's resurrection to say that Jesus has gotten out because he's alive. And it's our responsibility to take that truth to the world, which now brings me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. If you are maybe not super familiar with the Bible, Matthew is a gospel. It is one of four gospels. It's one of what is called a synoptic gospel. It is describing for us basically the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to also keep these gospels in their immediate historical context. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, the one that was born of a virgin, was born into this world living under fancy word, seminary word, Old Testament dispensation. What that simply means is he was born under the Old Testament laws. So Jesus, while he is the cornerstone of the local church, he is the cornerstone of the church, Jesus in the Gospels has yet to be crucified. He is yet to be, in Matthew chapter 16, he is yet to be crucified. He is yet to be resurrected. But Jesus had this group of men. They were called disciples. They were messed up too. They were sinners. They had come from various backgrounds. Jesus had called them into his ministry from lives that would not be considered in their day to be appropriate. And yet Jesus called them, redeemed them, placed them into service. Well, we all know this, that Jesus, as he is about to be crucified, and he is about to die on a cross, and he is about to resurrect, and he is going to return back to his father, he is going to then leave this group of then disciples that will become the apostles. He is going to leave them on this earth to continue his mission. The mission being that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That redemption is only through Christ. So how are these men going to do it? How are they going to disseminate the gospel around the world when Jesus is now not with them anymore? Well, thankfully, he tells them. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 down through about verse 20, we're going to consider four foundational facts about the church. And let me say this here, lest I forget. The church in Matthew 16 is future. It hasn't happened yet. It hadn't started. Jesus didn't actually start the church. It doesn't start until Acts chapter 2. It actually happens, begins after the resurrection of Christ. But notice what Jesus says. He says, beginning in verse number 13 down through 18, we're going to find this first foundation of the church. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, 
These are those group of men that are following him closely, the 12. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, that's a great question. Put that out on your your Facebook or Instagram feed today and see what you get. Who do you say the Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the unique, the monogenes, the one and only Son of God, who do people say that I am? The answer is given to Jesus by his disciples, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, I would suggest to you, and I would submit this morning, that if you were to ask the average person on the street of Wilmington, North Carolina today, who is Jesus, you would get some very interesting answers, even here in the proverbial Bible Belt South. You would get answers like, oh, he was a good man. He was a good teacher. He was a prophet. He was a religious man. You would get a variety of answers. But notice, Jesus is pressing his disciples because before he departs, they better make sure that the first foundation of the church is in place, and that is the church has to be built on truth. It has to be built on doctrine. It has to be built on orthodoxy. And so Jesus basically says to his disciples, hey, look, that is great. That is fantastic. But who do you say that I am? Now, let me ask you this question this morning. Who do you say Jesus is? Because I would submit to you this morning that how you answer that question is of eternal importance. Because if I answer simply that Jesus was just a good man and I neglect the fact that he was God in the flesh and I neglect the fact that Jesus said he was one with the Father. In fact, if you know anything about the life of Jesus, one of the reasons they, one of the main reasons they crucified him was because of blasphemy. In one of the texts, he made this statement when he said to the people around him, before Abraham even existed, I am. In other words, he was claiming to be pre-existed. He was claiming to be omniscient. He was claiming to be eternal. On another case, he says to a man, I am going to forgive you of your sins. And there is this religious uproar because they ask him, who are you to forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus said, yeah, you're right, because I'm God. And so how you answer this question is of tremendous, eternal importance for you individually That without answering this question and accepting Christ, accepting I'm a sinner, repenting of my sin, and believing in Christ as my Savior, that I am lost for eternity. That's a hard message, but it's true. In fact, not only is the answer to this question important for you individually, individually, it's an important question for us to answer as a church. You do know that many churches that may claim the name Christian completely deny the deity of Christ. Deny the fact that he is the only way to heaven. Deny the fact that he is the propitiation, another fancy word, for our sins. So this is an important question. Who do you say that I am? 
Well, Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the one that the Old Testament had predicted generations before Jesus was born. He said, you are the Christ and the Son of the living God. Peter passed his Sunday school exam. He got it right. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God, of the exact same essence, God in the flesh. You know, orthodoxy may not be popular today. And maybe you think theology is boring, and yet right theology leads to right living. If we cave as a church, again, collectively as a church, If we cave on the truths of Scripture, how will people know and believe the truth? How will they find the answers to life's most complicated questions? How will people stand against the the many issues that are pressing against us and calls us out of touch and outdated when we stand for things like biblical marriage and the sanctity of life? How are we to stand if we refuse to accept the truth? That redemption is only found in Christ. And so Jesus here, as he is soon to depart this world, he asks Peter this theological question, this theological issue that churches need to stand on unapologetically, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of of the living God. He is, in fact, the Savior of the world for those who believe on him. That is not negotiable. And as believers, if we preach that and we tell people that and they are offended, I understand that. But if we are offensive in that message, shame on us. But Jesus now says to Jonah something very interesting. By the way, before I get to that, he says in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That's an interesting statement. You only know this, Peter, because God is my Father, one in essence, has given you this truth. We, we know this. We're talking about this in Connect Group. We know the general revelation as we see it in Scripture places like Psalm 19, places like Romans chapter 1. We see the general revelation around us that points us to God. That is something, again, general revelation. It reveals the existence of God. Romans 1 says that that is enough to condemn us of our sin, but it is only through special revelation that the Holy Spirit of God uses His Word to convince us that these matters are true, and this was true for Peter. It was God who had given him this message. Now, that's all that to say orthodoxy, right doctrine is essential, but secondly, it is also built by the power of Christ. I find the next verse very comforting, by the way, but I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. I love the word I in that, word, in that verse, because I there, I will build my church, is Jesus will build his church. It's not dependent on me. Praise the Lord. It's God's church. I, I, I like it when pastors, I, 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 I see pastors say this, and it's, it's weird as a pastor. You say, well, well, my church does this, and very often, myself included, well, not my church, it's just the one that Jesus lets me borrow. 
Because it's his. Notice that this church is going to be built on Christ. It is through his work. And I don't want to get wrapped up in the details of this. Our time is slipping away very quickly. But this is the very first time in the Gospels where the word ecclesia is used. This word ecclesia just meant an assembly of people over time. By the time we get to Acts chapter 2 and beyond, the word ecclesia took on a very technical term to refer to the people who believe in Christ, to the church of Jesus Christ, to those who put their faith in Christ. It was applied to Christians particularly. And so when Jesus says, I will build my church, he is not talking about the fact that he was going to build some large cathedral. He wasn't going to build this beautiful, immaculate place with stained glass windows and beautiful lights and fancy instrumentation. That was not his point. Not that those things are inherently bad or wrong, but what he was saying was, I'm going to build my assembly I am going to build a group of people that believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that they have put their faith in Him, and I am going to piece them together. For what purpose? Paul tells us in Ephesians, so that the manifold wisdom of God through the church can be proclaimed. You're a part of that. I'm a part of that. I'm no more important because I have the privilege of standing here and speaking to you every Sunday. That's irrelevant. We are all equally important to the body of Christ as we see in other places in the New Testament. We see this idea that the body as it is fit together is molded together with different giftedness and different purposes so that we can function. To be blunt, when some of our believers are not here, we are not the best we can be. We're just not. Because a part of the body is not present. They're not here. Now, notice that Jesus blesses Peter very uniquely. I do not have time. If you have questions about this after, I can talk to you about this more in particular. This is not a proof text that Peter became the first pope. That is not what is happening here. In fact, if you read through the writings of Peter himself, we understand that Peter never saw himself as the first pope. Never. In fact, let me give you a couple of examples. 1 Peter 5, um, verses 1 through 4, and verse Uh, 3, Peter says this, he says, not domineering over the flocks in your charge, but be an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd comes, you will receive an unfading glory. Peter here writing to pastors, he's writing to those who were given the responsibility of shepherding a flock. And he says in verse 1 of that, I exhort you the elders among you as a fellow elder. I'm just a fellow pastor. I'm just another shepherd. That's all Peter considered himself to be. In 2 Peter 1, 1, Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, didn't claim palpable authority. And so when we understand that this picture here, that Jesus was going to be the cornerstone according to Ephesians 2, but the apostles, they were going to serve as the foundation on which Jesus was going to build his church. This church was going to be built on the 12 apostles, on their testimony, on their ministry. And Peter was, as he is here, the representative of that group, but not in a sense 
of palpal authority. Now let's, let's stop there for a minute. Upon you, Peter, upon the apostolic ministry that I'm going to give you and the other 11, upon you, I will build my church. Jesus was God in the flesh. He could have said to them, I am going to build my group of people through any other means. And yet, he chose to create a new organism, if you will, the church. He did not command his disciples to start a political organization. He did not command his disciples to start a parachurch organization. Now, this may make some of you fall out of your pew, but Jesus did not command the disciples to start a Christian school or a Christian college or a seminary. He commanded them to plant and to start a church. It is preeminent in the life of a believer. Yes, politics is important. We, politics have consequences. We're reaping them now. I understand all of that. Parachurch organizations do great work in ministry. Lifeline Pregnancy Center here in Wilmington is a phenomenal ministry. Praise the Lord. We happen to have a Christian school. Praise the Lord. But Jesus said, my church is far more essential to my business. Those ministries are arms of the church. They are supporters of the church. They are ministries of the church. But the essential piece was the church. Now, third, notice what Jesus says. Not only is it going to be founded on truth, not only is the church going to be preeminent and founded on this apostolic authority, but I want you to see something else here, and that is found in the next part of verse 18. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do you believe that? For centuries now, 2,000 years, people have tried to eradicate this world of the church. You pesky people. The church should be eliminated. It's dangerous according to communism. It was attempted in other countries, China, Russia, other places that have desperately tried to squelch their nation of Christians and their nation of the church. And guess what happened? I was in seminary with people that grew up in communist Russia. It was horrible, by the way. As Americans, we need to keep that in mind. I've been on the ground in communist countries I won't name. And I will tell you this, the church is alive and well. Because the gates of hell itself will never prevail against this divine institution because, you know why? Because God said so. And he says, that is my church, and the gates of hell will never stand against it. Now think about some applications of that with me for just a moment. If the church is impacted by a global pandemic, the church will press on. 
If the church sees its pastors in prison for preaching the truth, the church will press on as it has and is all over this world as pastors today and other nations are sitting in prison cells for saying and preaching messages like I'm preaching to you. And you know what? Their church is alive and well. The church, even if the church is forbidden to own property, the church will press on. Even, oh, here's a scary one. Even if the church loses its tax-exempt status, what are we going to do? The church will be just fine. If the church is deemed illegal, it could happen. It won't change a thing. Oh, we might meet in a field somewhere. We may have to sneak around. We may have to take our Bibles like they do in other countries and cut them into pieces so we don't have because we can't have access to it. That could happen, but guess what? The church will be alive and well. Why? Because the gates of hell will never prevail against it. I don't know about you, but I find that rather encouraging. Because I think if we're honest, it seems like the tide is so against us right now. And we wallow in our self-pity. And we sit and we watch 47 hours of the news. And we feel horrible. All the immorality that's going on around us. It's been there like for 2,000 years. People in Greece and Rome, they were pretty messed up too. And guess what? The church still thrived in those contexts. Oh, by the way, the New Testament was written in those contexts. Comes to mind when we think the church is in trouble somehow. The little phrase, oh ye of little faith. I will build my church. And the gates of hell, it may feel like you're losing. You may feel like you're pinned against the wall. You may feel like you're going to lose everything that's important to you. But you know what? Satan will not win. And then finally, the church is built on biblical authority. Notice what he tells Peter. He says in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Before I get to verse 20, it was very intriguing to me. I just comment here about this verse 19. Bind here means to forbid. Loose means to permit. The picture of keys was an establishment of the noble or royal king or queen giving to a trusted steward that which was to be dispensed by his master. He's using this imagery of here's the, if I use this imagery of a king, here's the keys to my castle. I am leaving, and you are given the responsibility to dispense what you deem to be necessary. So when Peter is told here to Peter and to the apostles, I'm going to give you the keys to my kingdom, he is essentially saying, I am giving you the authority, not the palpable authority, but the apostolic authority, so that you have the opportunity to minister and to declare what I would have God's people to know. In fact, with Matthew 18, we find um, this illustration, truly I say unto you, whatever, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
Again, I say to you, if two of you agree about anything and ask, it will be done in my Father in, in, my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am among you. Now that verse is one of my favorite verses that people rip out of its context. Where two or three people are gathered together in my name, there I am among them as if God's presence only happens when there's two or three of us together or some kind of special presence happens. That is not what that's about. The context is church discipline. Another popular topic in our culture today. And he is saying is, if you bring a sinner before the congregation and you deem him to be unrepentant and you put him out of the church by the witness of two or three people, God says, I am in that. I give you the authority to say that is okay, that is acceptable. So Peter and the apostles were given the authority to speak for God. Understanding the New Testament was not written yet. So when Peter stands up and he preaches in the book of Acts and he is speaking under the inspiration of God, he is speaking with absolute authority. By the way, the curious verse, verse 20, I can't leave you hanging on that before we apply this final text, is then he strictly charged the disciples to not tell anybody that he was the Christ. Okay, this is really exciting. We're going to build this church. The gates of hell will never prevail against it. Peter, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom, but keep it to yourself. Why? Well, because he wasn't resurrected yet. This wasn't time to implement this. So how does the authority issue apply to us? This is important. If I lost you for a little bit, this is important. Authority for us as New Testament believers is not in a pope. It is not in an apostle. Our absolute authority rests in the inerrancy of Scripture. We say that the Word of God is is necessary for faith and practice, that it speaks to the matters of life, So I can speak on authority when I say, thus says the Lord in his word. I'm on dangerous ground when I say, I think this is what God said. That preaching and teaching and discipleship flows from the scriptures rather than from one's opinion or one's feelings or one's personal experiences. Oh, there's a collision that happens when we do that. Here's what the Bible says, here's what it means, here's how it applies to you, and I can say that with authority because that's what Scripture teaches. Not because I think it's true, not because I want it to be true, not because it's my preference. It is because that is what the text says. My job as a pastor is to explain that to you and hopefully prayerfully apply that to you and to teach you the principle, here is God, worship Him. And so if we are going to be part of this mission's program and we are going to see the church that jesus promises to build here locally it means that we need to be committed to our ministry life's hard life's busy you're tired everybody's tired everybody's busy the church matters it matters to god jesus by the way shed his blood for it we ought to be equally committed But it also applies to us in a global mission sense in that we take our responsibility to take the same gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. That involves us being part of a missions program, giving to missions, possibly going into missions. 
The church, you've heard this, is not primarily a building. I get that, but we need a place to meet. There's nothing wrong with buildings. But it's a community of believers. The church is a place where the manifold wisdom of God might be known. And the body of Christ might serve together. And the body of Christ loves one another, forgives one another, rebukes one another, serves with one another, worships with one another. You see, the church matters a lot to God. It's the program He started. If it matters to Him, I would submit it should matter to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these verses and this challenge this morning to each and every one of us. We live in an interesting age, an age where we can sit home and watch TV and watch even sermons online and read our Bibles by ourselves. It's a very blessed time in that regard, but also a dangerous time. Lord, I pray that my my feeble attempt this morning would be one that would just stir our thinking to remember the glorious church that you have started And it includes us as imperfect, sinful people. Lord, I pray now your blessing on the end of our service as we sing one last song, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Pastor West to come and lead us in one final song, a song of invitation or a song of response. If you want to respond by coming here to the front, you're certainly welcome to do that. If you want to pray where you are, I would invite you to do that. Uh, My wife and I are going to slip out to the lobby, so if you have any questions or you'd like to speak with me, I would love to talk to you. Let's stand together. I want us to sing just the end of that song that we sang earlier, uh, King of Kings, uh, the part that talks about specifically about the founding of the church and the fact that uh, the truth of the gospel will not kneel and will not faint, and as we heard preached this morning, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let's sing it together. And the morning that you rose, all of heaven held its breath, till that stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe, for the souls of all who'd come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born From the Spirit lit the flame Now this gospel truth of old Shall not kneel, shall not faint By His blood and in His name In His freedom I am free For the love of Jesus Christ Who had resurrected me Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. Praise forever to the King of Kings. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great week.